Hey, this is Ryan Thomas. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are just the very best, and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Forgiveness is never easy, but when it's forgiveness for years of cruelty, neglect, and pain, it's next level, not easy. And yet it's exactly that level of forgiveness on display in our story today, from a daughter to a mother. Forgiveness that's brought redemption and great hope into a story that begins in heartbreak. It's the story of Sarah May, a nationally appreciated speaker, author, and podcaster, who's just released her new book, The Complicated Heart, Loving Even When It Hurts, from B&H Publishing. The warmest of welcomes to the show, Sarah. How's the day treating you so far? The day is treating me fantastic. So I've gotten out some walks with my dogs. It's sunny here. So I'm very happy. It's a good day. And here is, in fact, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, correct? Yes, but if you were here and you said Lancaster, you would get dirty looks. You have to say Lancaster. (gasps) I am so sorry. helping you out. Oh, I don't care. I'm not from here. I'm a transplant. I have just learned. People here even have bumper stickers that say Lang, and then they write Kiss, K-I-S-S. No, that's not how you spell it. Lancaster. Like, it's very serious business. <laughs> well, this is, this is actually more helpful to me than you may realize, because apparently much of my ancestry comes from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And so now knowing it, how to say it properly, I think that will help me. I think that's very helpful. Were you Amish? Was your family Amish? They or were. Mennonite? Yes, or ma'am. Neither. They they started as Amish and then they went Mennonite. Okay. Mm. Well, transitioning to your story instead of my my Amish forebears, it it strikes me yeah. that you you fully appreciate the destination of this story a bit more when you travel a bit of the road with you. So to that end, let's start at the beginning. You, you make a choice when you're 15 years old. Your parents aren't mm-hmm. together. They live apart. And you decide it's time to go live with your mom, who just seems like an extremely cool person. But after yeah. you made that move, how long did it take to grasp just the, the omnipresence of her drinking issues? I just wanted to be with my mom. I just thought she was great. I would see her in the summers. And about, I, I, I don't know, a few weeks, a month, a couple months in, I just started, um, like, I guess, paying more attention to the fact that she was very, very mean and very, very sarcastic and very um, verbally and emotionally abusive. Now, I wouldn't have used those terms then because I wouldn't have known. But looking back, that's exactly what she was. And she just knew how to cut you down until you felt like nothing. And one of the key things that I learned recently, actually, is this word gaslighting, which a lot of us have heard in politics, but we don't really know what it is. And it's just when somebody basically tries to psychologically uh, manipulate you to the point where you question your own sanity. So like you don't know what is up and what is down. And that is what it was like with my mom. She would like um, rail on you, rail on you, cut you down, cut you down. And then when you finally were like, stop, why are you doing that? It would be like, why are you yelling at me? Like, why are you hurting me like that? Like, you're such an ungrateful daughter. But like that kind of stuff all of the time where you really don't know what 
uh, is true and what is untrue, mm-hmm. especially when you're a teenager. And um, the other part of our relationship that was, you know, a new thing that was very difficult was that, you know, I, here I'm the daughter and I want to be mothered, but my, you know, but I didn't have a mom. She didn't act like a mother to me. But when she got scared, she would become this little girl and I would become the mother to her, which was a very weird twist in our relationship. So, for example, she had a boyfriend who was living with us. He was 20. And one night he tore up our whole house. And I had come home and the police were there. And she was just like frozen, like paralyzed, just sitting on the couch, like in fear, like a little, like she'd become like a little girl. And so I was the one that was like rubbing her head and telling her it would be okay. And I would take care of her. And so we had a very whiplash relationship. And I'll just tell you one, one more thing real quickly, just to give people an idea of the depth of the destruction and damage so that you understand the redemption so much more the uh, real defining moment of, of what it was like for me there was when I was, um, I had confronted her about being an alcoholic. She laughed at me. It did not go well. And I remember yelling out to her, um, I'm going to kill myself and her saying, go ahead. I dare you. And that was a pretty, um, that was when I knew that I was alone. We're talking with Sarah May today, the author of the complicated heart, loving, even, when it hurts, just available across the land from B&H Publishing. And you describe her drinking in this way. You say she was a functional drunk. What, what did that mean? Mm-hmm. So she, you know, could go to work. I mean, she would drink vodka sun up to sundown, but she didn't like wobble. You know, she didn't like act drunk. So she was a functional alcoholic. Um, I actually don't know who she really was because I never saw her not drunk. Um, and because she could maintain herself as a drunk or as an alcoholic, you just didn't know when she was drinking and when she was. I mean, she was always drinking, but I wouldn't have known what she was like not drinking, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So she would go to work. She would make dinner. She would carry on. She would watch her shows. She was just very, very cool. It's fascinating, though, and so many people obviously are identifying with this story and will know exactly what you mean when you say that. But as you described the distance in sort of not even realizing who she really was deep down. One story that I thought really illustrated that was you inadvertently slice your thumb open in the kitchen one day mm. and yeah. telling your mom, I, th- I think I need to get to the hospital. But how does she react to that? Yeah. yeah, she just was like, no, we're not going. And it's not like I had a car. I couldn't go. I was. I remember, I don't know what we were fighting over, arguing over, but I was washing dishes and I was like in my anger, like washing them way too fast. And so I sliced my thumb open with, with a knife and it was just like bleeding like crazy. It was a pretty deep cut. I still have a scar. And yeah, I just went out and I was like, mom, I think I got to go to the hospital. Like, this is pretty bad. And she was just like, no, you're fine. Like, we're not going. And I just like wrapped paper towels around it and taped it up. And the next morning when I took the paper towels off, like it started to bleed again. I mean, put it this way. I severed nerves. Because to this day, I can't, I can touch that part of my, my thumb, but I have to be really careful because the nerve endings are like messed up. Whereas if I touch it a certain way, it hurts or, or it like doesn't feel like anything. It just depends. It's a weird, it's a really weird thing. And so, yeah, she just wouldn't. I don't know. Understood. Well, there was some familiarity with, with God and with faith. What was your understanding of who God was and 
what, if any, significance he had in your life at this point? I love this question so much because even when we don't know God is with us, he's always with us. He's always pursuing us. He's always wooing us because he loves every single person on this earth. And so I, um, I remember my stepmom was Catholic. So, you know, she would talk about God and I'd go to Catholic church, but I didn't really know anything. Neither of my parents went to church or anything. Um, but I sort of kind of always thought there was a God, you know, but I just didn't know him or know Jesus or anything like that. But when I was around nine years old, my sister and I, we have different dads, and he kidnapped her. Like, my mom had dropped her off for a visitation, and he didn't bring her back. And so I prayed every night um, that we would get her back. And I think it was like six months later, um, my mom found her. And so that cemented in my little girl's heart that there was a God. And then when I moved in with my mom at 14, somebody had passed on a Christian tape and I didn't know there was contemporary Christian music. I only knew there were hymns. Yeah. So I was like, what is this? You know, I play <laughs> it and I'm like, what is he singing about? And I just started crying out to the Lord and just saying, I don't know what this is, God, but I want it. Like, I want it. And I feel like this was just God continuing to sort of show me that he was there. Sure. And to kind of like keep asking, keep pursuing. You know, it was like when I was in the pit, it was as if he was just sitting there with me. You know, just like with his arm around me, just waiting to lead me out into the light. And so that was really significant for me. And then when I finally left um, Georgia, I had gotten pregnant at 16, had an abortion, like so many things happened that are in the book. And I, I was like, I'm done with this place. I'm done. So in 11th grade, I moved back with my dad and I started to go to Young Life. And this is where I started to hear about Jesus. And I started to read, uh, somebody had given me, probably Young Life had given me a New Testament, and I just could not get enough of the scriptures. And it was like, I could understand it. But here's the thing that really cemented um, faith for me was I was at a retreat in college. I got involved with the Navigators my freshman year of college. And there was a retreat speaker and he said, what would you do if Jesus walked in the room right now? And I was like, well, duh. I would hide. Uh. He would not want to see me. I had so much shame. But I learned there that weekend that Jesus knows everything I've ever done, everything I was doing and everything I was going to do. And This is why he came. and This is why he died for me. And he loves me. And it just changed everything for me. I love that story so much. That was me one of too. my favorite parts. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> one of my absolute favorite parts of the book. It really was, Sarah. Before we Mm. go further and continue with this walk with you, one thread I just wanted to pick back up before that period in your life. The book opens with these two just gripping scenes. Mm. In one of those, you you mentioned just in passing what your mom had Mm -hmm. said to you about considering suicide. And you're there, you're considering suicide right there in the bathroom. And mm-hmm. you decide not to do it. You decide not to take your life. What was it in that moment, do you think, and, and when you had those thoughts that kept you from going ahead and doing it? Well, the reality is I didn't want to die. I just wanted her to care. Like, I just wanted her to want me. I just wanted her to care about me. I just wanted her to acknowledge my pain or say, I'm so sorry. And when she didn't, when she told me, you know, go ahead, I dare you. It was just, it was just crushing because 
I, like I said, I didn't want to die. I just wanted to know that she cared. And so it, you just kind of numb yourself after that. And you just kind of go, go forward trying to stuff all of these feelings. I mean, that's what it, that's what it was like. Of course. We're talking today on the road for Faith Radio with Sarah May. She's the author of The Complicated Heart, Loving Even When It Hurts, just available across the land from B&H Publishing. And I'm Ryan Thomas. The book is so rich. There is so much to this story. And if it's speaking to your heart, I so, so much recommend that you do read the book. But (laughs) talk a little bit about how you begin to walk the path of learning to love and to forgive her, even in the midst of, yeah. of all of this pain that you still experience? Of course, after becoming a Christian, you know, I'm reading about forgiveness and, you know, loving others and loving your enemies. And at this point, like, I hate my mom. Like, I don't, I mean, I still talk with her, but like, I don't really want anything to do with her except for, you know, I'll talk with her every now and then because she'll call me, you know. But I, I knew the Lord was calling me to forgive her and was calling me to love her. And I thought, if I don't, I don't know how to do these things, God, so you're going to have to show me. And because he's so kind, he did. And I will quickly tell you three things that helped the most. And all of these are fleshed out um, much more in the book. But the very first thing was I had to learn how to deal with the lies that I was believing after living with my mom for so long, because I did not know what was true and what wasn't true because I'd been manipulated for so long. And then in general, as humans with sinful families and in the sinful world, we tend to believe lies in general. So I had a mentor who really taught me how to identify some core lies, as she called them, um, so that I could begin to replace them with the truth. The next step that was extremely helpful was um, learning how to set boundaries and how I learned that my very first taste of what that meant was I was in a college class and there was an addiction counselor as our guest lecturer and I ran up to him after class and I told him about my mom and I said, I don't know what to do when we're on the phone. It just, we get in this horrible tangled cycle and I can never hang up with her and you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, if I have this ball in my hand and I throw it to you, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to catch it. And he said, and then what? And I said, well, I'm going to throw it back. And he said, if you don't want to play the game, stop throwing the ball back. And what I learned from then from him was it was okay to, to not keep on in our same rhythms with my mom. Like I had to learn how to set boundaries and boundaries are just what will I tolerate and what will I not tolerate? So with my mom, it meant if we started to go down a terrible cycle on the phone, I would just have to go, sorry, someone's at the door. I got to go click, like just hang up. Because if you've ever been on the phone with a person who won't get off the phone with you, you can't just (laughs) like explain yourself, you know? So I had to learn how to literally just hang up on her, which sounds terrible, but it was a boundary that was really important so that I could get my head straight because I needed to get clarity. And then, and again, I go way more into that. And then the third thing that was the most significant in helping me to forgive and love my mother was mourning the loss of her. I had gone to a counselor. I was really sad. And I realized under all of my anger, I was just deeply, deeply sad that I did not have a mother. I really, really wanted one. And I was jealous of all of my friends who had moms. And my counselor told me, um, she said, you need to mourn the loss of a mother, basically as though she died. And the, and the reason I needed to do that is because mourning is the 
process of facing reality and letting go of our expectations. Mm -hmm. And the reality was at that current juncture, I did not have a mother and I needed to release her. I needed to release my expectation that she would be one to me. And that's not to be confused with hope. We don't ever mourn the future because we don't ever want to mourn what God may yet restore. But in that moment and in that season, I needed to mourn her as though she died. It's very painful. But what it allowed me to do was see her as a human made in the image of God that God was calling me to love. And so I was able to do that without expecting her to act like a mother to me or to even be kind to me. You do unpack that so well in in such a, a practical and encouraging way in the book. Your mom, of course, then does pass away far too young. And mm-hmm. it's the other moment that really grips you right at the start of this book. In her final mm-hmm. hours, you make this promise to her that you're going to tell yeah. the story of this path that the two yeah. of you have walked. What do you want people to know about how your relationship changed and transformed and perhaps the ways that it didn't in her final years. Yeah, that's so great. God did so many incredible things. I had a really, you know, one of my impossible prayers that I'd been praying since college, my freshman year was that my mom would stop drinking and come to know the Lord. And she always claimed Jesus, but she didn't act like it. (laughs) And I prayed that and God did so many miracles um, towards the end of my mom's life, actually not even towards the end of it, before before even close to the end of it. Um, I really want to save it, but I will save one quick story. Um, I mean, I will tell you one thing, and that is that one day I got a call. I was married, had some kids at this point, and I get a call from a hospital where she lives, and they said, your mom's in the hospital, and she has about a month to live. She has stage four cirrhosis of the liver. You need to come down and like make your peace with her. And I said, can I talk to her? And they said, yes. And they put her on the phone and I said, mom, like what, what happened? And she said, God told me to stop drinking. And I did. She goes, I went to make my morning vodka. And I heard a voice say, put that down. You don't even want it. And she said, and I poured it down the drain. And I fully believe I would have dropped dead right there had I not done that. And I go on to explain this. And so God had done some pretty incredible things throughout the rest of her life on this earth. And on her deathbed, when I I was able to be with her, God worked that out miraculously as well. And um, I just told her I was going to tell her story because God did such incredible things. And it wasn't that things were tied up in a perfect bow and we had this great, awesome relationship now. But there was so much redemption and surprising reconciliation. And anytime God does something, it's, you know, it's still surprising. Even if he, he's done things in your life before, it's such a surprise and it's so sweet. And, um, and I'm so glad I was able to tell our story because it's not just mine. At the end of most of the chapters, I have journal entries from her so that she has a voice in the story too. Because at the end of the day, when somebody hurts us, there's, a, there's something going on in their life too. And it's not an excuse for their behavior. But it's just, it's an explanation. And so I had the rare opportunity to sort of peek behind the curtain of my mother's life by reading her journals. And it really gave me such compassion. I feel like I finally met my mom through her journals. There's so much to that as well. The narrative arc that that adds to the story is just, just phenomenal. But Sarah May is with us today on the road here for Faith Radio. Her book is called The Complicated Heart, Loving Even When It Hurts, just available wherever fine books are sold from B&H Publishing. 
I want to follow up on that if we have a second, but but I want to make sure that I ask you this question, Sarah, because so much of your book is geared towards it. To that person who just identifies so <laughs> poignantly with your story and who just doesn't yeah. know that they can find the strength to forgive, even though they badly want to, what's your yeah. message to them? Yeah. Um, if you're still breathing, there is hope. God is in the business of impossible prayers. And that isn't always our circumstances. Sometimes it's what he does in us that we think will never happen. Um, and also get help. Don't do this alone. If you have abuse or gaslighting or you dealt with addiction or you have somebody in your life who has hurt you, don't walk this out alone. It is so important that we find a safe friend or mentor or counselor to process these things with because God uses other people to um, comfort us and to guide us and to teach us. And that is how he gets us on the path of healing and freedom. And it is so, so worth it to face the pain and the wounds and the sin in the past. I promise you, I promise you just face it and trust him as you walk forward. I imagine when you put a book like this together, all of the incredible marathon really that you run to do this, you you probably do have a sense in your head of of the people that this story might touch as you experience the feedback and as people are telling you mm-hmm. stories of the way that this has blessed and encouraged and touched them. Have yeah. you been a little bit unprepared for it? I mean, is it even a little bit more truly amazing than you anticipated? It's been incredible. First of all, this is my favorite book I've ever written. It's my fourth book. It's ha- fifth book I, get. I wrote a Bible study too, but hands down, <laughs> my favorite. It's the story I've always meant to write because it's, the God, it's God's story. And the reactions of people saying like that they're past, like they know somebody to pass it on to. I feel like the, the big things people say to me are, I read this in one sitting. I so related. Thank you so much. And I know exactly who I'm going to give this to. And that's huge. Like I'm getting letters and stories and it's been phenomenal to know that God is using what the enemy meant for evil. He's using for good. And that is like the best. I am (laughs) so grateful. I'm so happy. And I just love watching what God is doing. Amen. Amen. Well, The Complicated Heart, Loving Even When It Hurts, from Sarah May, the book that we've been talking about, the story we've been sharing today on the road. It is available wherever fine books are sold, but Sarah, if people do want to learn more about your ministry and your your other books as well and pick up a copy of this one, where is the place to start the journey on the web? Absolutely. Well, you can go to thecomplicatedheart.com. Or you can go to sarahmay.com, S-A-R-A-H-M-A-E. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Sarah May Writes, and that's where you can find me. So I hope you do. I also have a podcast. It's called The Complicated Heart Podcast, where we talk about all these messy kind of things. So um, you can just find that at sarahmay.com forward slash The Complicated Heart Podcast. Thank you for asking that. Oh, thank you for being here today. This is just a story that touches so many of us and something that so many can relate to. Thank you so much for being here. And also, you know, thank you just for having the courage to tell this story because I know that mm. at times it's had to be really tough, but this is, this is such a blessing. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. 
For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you so much for listening. Programming like this is available through your support, and you can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. We'd also love to hang out with you during the week on Facebook and on Twitter. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas. Talk to you again soon.